Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. Thanks to last year's Supreme Court reversal of the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, the debate over abortion rights and reproductive freedom figures to be front and center at the North Carolina General Assembly this year. Despite repeated indications that public opinion remains strongly in favor of leaving such decisions to pregnant individuals and their physicians, Republican lawmakers have pledged to try and pass new abortion restrictions like those advanced in several other states. And earlier this week, in order to get a handle on where things currently stand and what kind of bills are likely to soon emerge, what might happen at the legislative building, and why the federal government and the courts remain important players in this drama, I sat down with one of the state's most eloquent advocates on the topic, Pro-Choice North Carolina Executive Director Tara Romano. Well, Tara Romano, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Thanks so much for having me. Talk to us about the state of reproductive freedom in North Carolina. It's something that people still have, I guess, at least to a certain extent. Indeed, we're really sort of a sanctuary for people from a lot of other states where they've laws have completely taken away their abortion rights. But it's obviously very tenuous right now in North Carolina. Talk to us sort of what's your assessment of where things stand. North Carolina has become a destination state for people in the Southeast. When the Dobbs decision came down on June 24th that overturned Roe, we actually were unique in the Southeast that we didn't really have any changes to our laws based on Roe being overturned. We do have a lot of abortion restrictions that are unnecessary. They're medically unnecessary. They're politically motivated. They're designed to make it harder to access abortion. And we have a lot of those laws. So so it's not easy to access abortion in North Carolina, but we still do have clinics. We still can access it here. And you can access it up to 20 weeks. That was the one change that happened after the Dobbs decision was a judge, a federal judge who had previously enjoined the 20-week ban, saying that that was unconstitutional under Roe. He himself reopened the case and went ahead and reinstated the 20-week ban. But we still do have abortion in North Carolina up to 20 weeks where people can access it. And we have 14 clinics. They are clustered in metropolitan areas. So there's still a lot of travel involved. North Carolina is a big state. Uh, but you still can access it here. And so compared to our neighbors in Georgia and South Carolina, Florida, Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee has a complete ban. We do know that providers are seeing more patients coming from out of state to be able to access care here. So that's where we are. It's really important for us to protect abortion access in North Carolina for North Carolinians, as well as from people from around the Southeast. But of course, we also know that it's tenuous here, that we have uh, a general assembly that has largely uh, demonstrated, or at least the Republican majority there has Mm -hmm. demonstrated a hostility to reproductive Mm -hmm. freedom. And they are on the verge of having such a large majority in both houses that they might could conceivably override let's say, a gubernatorial veto that we would Mm -hmm. expect from Governor Roy Cooper, who's pledged to protect Mm -hmm. abortion rights. So Mm -hmm. it's a very thin thread things seem to be hanging by right now. For sure. And we definitely know, you know, we have heard Republican leadership who have supported anti-abortion restrictions this past decade. They've said, you know, before the election last year, they said that they were going to look at further restricting abortion access. And they have continued to say that even after the election. So we're fully expecting to see at least one bill, probably multiple bills that are having different types of restrictions on abortion. And we'll be ready to be fighting those at the General Assembly. But we know that definitely the access we have here in North Carolina particularly without the protections of Roe, it is very tenuous, as you said. Interesting, though, it does seem that although Republicans keep mouthing these platitudes about uh, limiting abortion, they don't seem to be united. There seem to be some who are 
just way out on the far right. They want to ban all abortions from the moment of conception. And then we hear talk from the, the president pro tem of the Senate where he's talking, well, maybe limiting it to the first trimester. It doesn't seem, to, of course, to be any science behind any of this. It's just sort of like the inclinations of different politicians as to how they want to restrict this health care. But it does seem that it's perhaps not unanimous as to where things would head if the Republicans really do go down this road in 2023. Well, it's interesting to see, like we've seen that play out in other states as well, where you see in some states really passing very extreme bans. Like you've, I mean, any ban really is on, this is abortion is healthcare and any ban right. is interfering with that. But you've seen like places in Tennessee that completely ban abortion or Missouri was the first state to completely ban abortion after Roe fell. One of the things I think about is that now that Roe is gone, like what was very maybe theoretical for folks, politicians in particular, who I do not know how politicians personally feel about abortion, but what they will say in order that they feel like helps them get votes, they will take these anti-abortion postures. But like now, like it's we're moving now from theory of like, oh, I want to ban abortion, but I couldn't because Roe was there. So now being able to do that and we hope and maybe having to explain it to their wives and daughters. Well, we also hope that lawmakers understand like there are real harms. And we've seen yeah. like it's been seven months now since Dobbs came down. Um, and we've already seen a lot of things happen in other states, a lot of examples of people being denied care because people are on, you know, doctors aren't sure about miscarriage management. You know, um, what can they do with these vague anti-abortion laws in place? And we've heard stories about people having to, you know, come back when they were really, really sick um, because they... Yeah. Doctors were and their lawyers from the hospitals were saying, don't you can't necessarily treat this person or people having to travel very far for an abortion, including like for non-viable pregnancies. Like we've seen these things already happening. So we actually have examples of what happens when you completely ban abortion. And I would hope that lawmakers take that into account. Like this is not political rhetoric. It was never a political game. Like there were a lot of people who could not access abortion when you have all these laws in place, even if it's technically legal. But people often treat it as a political game, as a way of like gaining votes or those kind of things. But it is not a game. This is people's health and safety. And we hope that lawmakers maybe are starting to see that. And we hope that is not the vision that they want for North Carolina. We're talking with the executive director of the nonprofit advocacy group Pro-Choice NC and a great friend of our program, Tara Romano. Tara, are there things that the courts, that the federal government can still do here? We know there's been some discussion of the fact of the FDA approving drugs that are used to provide abortion care in some circumstances, and that's mm-hmm. sort of a federal purview. This isn't exclusively a matter of up being up to the General right. Assembly, right? For sure. And I think one of the things when the Dobbs decision was handed down is you heard a lot of anti-abortion lawmaker talking points saying that, well, now it goes back to the states, and that's all it did. But then we saw the house the first thing that this new u.s house um the u.s house the first thing they wanted to do was pass an anti-abortion ban nationally and so we know that it's never been about giving power back to the states to decide this is really about the anti-abortion goal is to completely ban abortion no exceptions in the entire country and so we definitely always think that people still should be interacting with their um u.s senators and u.s congress people to tell them that they support abortion access and there are things that can be done at the congressional level I mean, one thing we see at the federal court level is like you still see a lot of these different fights being played out at those levels at federal and state courts. For example, in South Carolina, they had tried to pass a six week ban and the South Carolina state Supreme Court said, actually, that is not constitutional based on the right to privacy in the state constitution. And then you've seen other states where they had complete bans that were then enjoined by the state courts as they examine their state constitutions or they examine these different laws in the state. And so we still think that there are ways like the courts are really important. The state Supreme Court and the federal courts 
are going to be important as these different lawsuits come up, both trying to expand access to abortion or antis are still trying to restrict access to abortion. And so these things are all happening in the courts. And so we want people to understand, like, we don't give up any of the levers that we have for trying to figure out how we expand reproductive freedom, even though it feels like there's a lot of hard things going on. The Supreme Court did not have the final say. I mean, it was a big thing, but it certainly wasn't the final say in abortion access. I want to ask you about another aspect of this debate that often maybe flies under the radar for a lot of people. It sounds like it's no big deal. It's a, it's a phenomenon, however, that's been spreading across the country, often uh, with public tax dollars mm-hmm. going to underwrite it. And that's a, a phenomenon that's sometimes referred to as crisis pregnancy centers. These are anti-abortion outfits that purport to provide advice to uh, pregnant people about their pregnancies. They are mm-hmm about preventing abortion, but there's there's more to it than that, right? That's, that's something we're starting yeah. to learn in some of the research that's being conducted. Some people may know them as crisis pregnancy centers. They're anti-abortion centers that have been around since the 1970s, and they are closely aligned. They're a key part of the anti-abortion movement. And what they are is a way of trying to get into communities and to put out anti-abortion propaganda and misinformation. And so they will call themselves clinics, they will say, you know, you will see billboards that say, pregnant, scared, call us, call this. And sometimes it's like a national toll-free number that they will put you in touch with like a local center. Their goal is to prevent people from accessing abortion, either by scaring them with misinformation about abortion or giving them bad information so that they don't know how to access abortion or really like intimidating and shaming them. Like, um, One of the things we've seen in North Carolina is they've gotten a lot of state money. And over the years, it has been increasing every budget until last year, it was $19 million in our state budget. And this is a state that has not expanded Medicaid. So you have a lot of people who do not have access to health care, but then they gave $19 million to these places that actually do not provide health services. And one of the things about these anti-abortion centers that do get tax dollars is we still don't really know what they do. There's very little oversight. They are not subject to HIPAA laws because they are not healthcare facilities. So they're not subject to the patient privacy laws. They're not subject to, you know, healthcare clinics are heavily regulated. They're one of the most heavily regulated industries. And these are not part of that. They're not regulated. So we don't know what they're offering. There's no regulations to tell us what they're offering. Really what we've been able to determine is that they just oftentimes just share anti-abortion information. And so we definitely know that there is a need for when people are experiencing an unplanned pregnancy and they don't have a primary care doctor, like there is a need for them to be able to access care. And we think the General Assembly should expand Medicaid and should provide more money actually for public health departments who often provide free pregnancy tests and can get people started, signed up for, signed up to see a doctor, signed up for Medicaid, signed up for benefits for their family. There are ways that we can be working with those people who need that help. And we just don't feel like these anti-abortion centers are that solution. We're coming to the end of our time with Tara Romano, who's the executive director of the nonprofit advocacy group Pro-Choice North Carolina. You know, one thing you couldn't help but be struck by in the 2022 election was the fact that pro-choice voters really came out. And we saw even in deeply conservative red states like Kansas, where these matters were on the ballot, voters came out and said, no, 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 wait a minute. We don't want to go backwards on reproductive freedom. It seems that that's generally the trend across the country, that public opinion is actually at odds with these new restrictions that we keep seeing proposed. Is that what you've seen and, and something you hope will continue to have an impact on this debate? I mean, we definitely know that people, the majority of people support abortion access. People have lots of feelings about abortion and like how people approach it and people access it. But a lot of people come down on the side of, 
I can't tell somebody else what to do, you know, and that's going to be the decision that they have to make. And that's, that's fine. That's all we're asking is that people understand people make different decisions. And so public opinion has really always been on the side of people being able to access abortion. And it's become much more visible since the Dobbs decision. Like a lot of people still think that that was a wrongly decided decision, no matter how they feel personally about abortion. They don't think the government should be making these decisions for other people. And so we know even in North Carolina that people do support people being able to access abortion. And they definitely don't think that the General Assembly should be enacting more restrictions. Um, they certainly have other priorities for the General Assembly that they, you know, they feel the General Assembly has continued to deprioritize as they go after these other issues like uh, abortion access and LGBTQ rights. I also talked to a lot of people about abortion and they, you know, there are a lot of people who they have lots of different thoughts and feelings, but they often come down on the side of like, you know, that's just not my decision to make for other people. And they they trust people to make their own decisions. And I think a lot of people also can empathize with people who are in tough situations. They maybe know people or they themselves have been in those situations. And the stigma around talking about it, I think, is what has led people to feel like it's such a divisive issue because people are afraid to bring it up because they are afraid that it will be quite divisive. But it really isn't as divisive as people think. And the stigma is really what allows the misinformation to be put out there that then contributes to why they pass restrictions that people think, well, I guess that must be okay because nobody is saying that it isn't. So we are here to say that these are not. um, And we know that people agree with that. And when people have all the information, they agree that people can make their own decisions. Vera Romano is the executive director of the nonprofit advocacy group Pro-Choice NC. You can learn more about their organization, contribute, help, be a part of the debate at ProChoiceNC.org. Tara, thanks for your important work. Keep it up. Take care. And we'll... uh, Talk to you again later this year. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncpolicywatch.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries on Apple Podcasts. For producer Clayton Henkel, it's Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views. A weekly look at state and policy issues is a production of North Carolina Policy Watch. Visit them online at ncpolicywatch.com.